You're listening to Artitude, a podcast with artists created and produced by Detlef Schlick, a visual artist and ritual designer, living and loving in West Cork, and best known for his essay about the cause and effect of shamanism, art and digital culture. Working in the field of performance, photography, painting, sound, installations, and film he will dive and discover with us and a weekly creative guest into the unknown and exciting deep ocean of the creative mind. This is Detlef Schlich, and today we dive into the unexpected and very interesting ocean of the creative mind together with David Bickley. Well <laughs> done, you got all that out. <laughs> this, time, this time I say it right. I mean, yeah. I'm sometimes so off. I, I don't have my glasses on. and, and, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's great. Now, David is a musician, filmmaker, and a, a multimedia artist and uh and um, we had last chat, a very interesting chat about his his pastime in, in in England as he grew up there and and school and um, we started as well with projects. Um, we came to the part of um, the moment when uh, he finished his projects with Brian Eno and when he was able to to buy his first. Avid, what was it? Avid ed, uh, edition? No, it was actually it was a Super VHS. Hi, David. For the hi, hello. <laughs> yeah, hi. It was a hi. Super VHS edit, edit suite. Yeah, that's that's, that's what, what I. Uh, can can you explain that? Bought. Can you explain well, it that was, uh, for listener? VHS. Everybody might. Well, some people might. For S VHS. Yeah, yeah. So S VHS yeah. was like kind of higher speed and higher spec, and it was wasn't broadcast, but it was it was close to it. And um, I bought a three machine suite, which was really rare in those days. Three machines basically meant you could do mixes between shots, which is really important for me because I was um, I was doing these landscape films and I wanted to have these slow dissolves. That was my trademark. Still is really in some. All stuff. right. So so, so you, um, you you needed quite uh, uh, crisp images if it if it if it came well, to, look, to slow it motion. Actually, it wasn't actually that crisp. No, it wasn't. Doing, you couldn't do slow motion on it, but. Um, Anything that was slow motion was just shot on film at higher speeds, you know, uh, really. So a lot of the, all that stuff I did. So the stuff with Brian Eno, uh, Brian, well, Brian Eno wasn't even there. He was meant to be there at, the, at this con series of concerts in Lanzarote. Uh, basically, his whole Opal Records uh, company were there with all their artists. And he was meant to be there. And I said, Greg, I'm going to meet Brian Eno for once. And uh, he wasn't there because his wife had a baby, came early, and he couldn't go. But his brother was there, Roger. And I met Hans, Jakimin Rodelius, who I mentioned to you off air, who um, is was in the band Cluster. And we formed a relationship from that. I met uh, Michael Brook and Laraji. In fact, every kind of ambient head who was well-known at the time. Vim Mertens was there. Harold Budd was there. And get great crack, you know. I can't well. imagine that. I mean, Lanzarote is a lovely place, isn't it? For, for ah, yeah. Well, as soon as I discovered that tequila was only four euros a bottle, or four pounds a <laughs> bottle at that time, I was like, oh, oh my God. God. 
So Get how much was here. how much wasn't your liver? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how much did it weigh? <laughs> anyway, no, that, but that's like we, we, me and Rodriguez bonded over a bottle of tequila at a party, and, uh, yeah. and then we ended up working together. We still do work together occasionally. Yeah. So um, yeah, so that that was why I, I got the suite, and, and basically it meant that when I, I moved to Dublin, and I was able to put myself out as having this suite, so I made a lot, obviously a lot of music videos. Yeah, uh, with it because there were a lot of there was a lot of music. I mean, this was the early nineties in Dublin. There wasn't a lot of money around. I mean, I didn't meet another English person for like about a year. I swear to All God. All right, honestly, to Dublin. in in the nineties, in nineteen ninety. That's that's interesting. How how came that? Yes. Um, so um, yeah, I know it's a totally different city. I mean, it was half in ruins. Yeah? And the whole country was like mad. Yeah? It was a completely crazy place. Um, it was brilliant, brilliant. Sorry, somebody's trying to ring me here. I have to keep getting rid of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, um, yes, yeah, so that was um, so that was Dublin, really. And um, I also discovered, because this, this um, edit suite had a very primitive computer attached to it, you could save the edits, so you could save all the decisions you'd made. And then I realized that you could make it into what is called, now this is a bit, a bit nerdy and a bit technical, what's called an auto-conform suite, which basically meant you could make uh, programs offline for television. So it meant people yeah. could come to me, they could edit their programs, take a, a, a disc away, a floppy yeah. disc, they could yeah. put it in their big edit suite and make the program at broadcast spec very quickly, which made it very yeah. cheap for them to do, you see? So, um, so I actually got, yeah, it was, it was a good idea in the end. It actually g it kept me afloat and you know, kept the money coming in and yeah, uh, sure. make, making music videos. And then um, I, I got into kind of what had happened with the, with the landscape films that I'd made in England. The three films I made, one in Lapland, one in Ireland, and one in uh, the Sahara. So it's that, Sahara. Was the brand, that was the brand Eno stuff, no? No, this was, well, actually Eno was on, his music was on some of it. And that, that is the point. That uh, you know, one film was shot in the Sahara, one film was shot in in uh, the Arctic, in northern Lapland, and one film was shot in Ireland. They were called mythological lands, so they were kind of landscape films based on creation myths of those countries. But what happened was they stupidly never licensed the film, the music, properly. And they uh, just hadn't, they hadn't actually licensed it. They, they, no they'd arranged, they had the money to do it. I mean, they just forgot to do it, right? Uh, and the company. And what happened is that on the covers, they put music by Brian Eno, yeah. but it, which was true. It, the music yeah. was by Brian Eno, but the music had yeah. been taken from discs and put on the film. It wasn't like Brian Eno had made the music for the film. All so right. they were selling it under false pretenses. And yeah. Peter Gabriel was another one. And yeah. Enya was another one. So I think uh, they had to withdraw the, 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 the videos which had been put out, you know, these three videos, because they were for sell-through to video shops and stuff. Ah, and then, they, oh, but then they became kind of cult. So you can find them online, the you know, mythological lands. You can, see, you can certainly see the, the, they're mentioned in, I think in Eno's Wikipedia, they're actually mentioned. They mentioned this one. Yeah. And, but what happened then is then I ha then had all the 16 mil footage, which had been transferred to um, Super VHS tape, yeah. And I had it all, and and nobody, you know, it was mine. So I went to RTE and said, "Are you interested in any of this?" And they said, "Actually, we are, because you you know all our programs are all different lengths." And at that time, there was no 
worldwide specification for the length of TV programs. So they're all different yeah. lengths. And there are yeah. all these gaps in between the programs, you know. So they had yeah. to fill them. So they needed things called fillers. So I made all these landscape fillers, little short films right. of Irish yeah. landscape set to traditional yeah. music. And they okay. used them as fillers. And that got me into RTE, which was great. Okay. I mean, that, that helps, isn't it? I mean, but uh, I'm just the times were different. You could literally walk into RTE and ask to speak to somebody, and they would come down the stairs, take you to the canteen, and buy you a cup of tea. It, you know that that was what it was like then in Ireland and in but, in RTE in those days. Yeah, but so so you didn't didn't continue very much with music videos. I mean, for instance, for for my life by the, by the ghosts and the oh, bush. No, the, I did. Oh, no, sorry. I did. I did. Uh, what happened? I then said to because um, at the time. Uh, there was a program called The Beatbox, which was a simulcast. So the, it was on radio and TV at the same time. Brilliant idea. So it means you could, yeah. I mean, this was before stereo TVs. It meant that you could listen to the music, the music videos in stereo on your big hi-fi, yeah. but watch it on yeah. TV, on your little cheap TV, which is everybody had then. So um, I said it was sponsored by Coca-Cola. So I said to the guy that was in charge of it, who also happened to be the guy who was in charge of the fillers, Eugene yeah. Murray. I said, why don't yeah. so Why don't we approach Coca-Cola and see if they sponsor us to make a kind of a video band video competition? And he said, good idea. So we did. And they gave us some money. It wasn't a lot of money in those days, but it was enough. And um, we, we came up with this idea of, of them basically inviting bands to send in uh, recordings of, you know, uh, ideas of, of songs that like videos made for. Yeah, we then yeah. got together. Ian Dempsey was on the panel and we people like that and we selected the videos and we selected 32 one from every county and then me yeah. and my mate cameraman endro looney still my cameraman went around yeah. the entire country 32 counties and shot 32 music videos so right. uh, so yeah that was great fun because i got to go to every county i had a drink in yeah. every county <laughs> i mean that's that sounds that sounds like the right way to to uh to spend spend some lifetime with work and and fun at the same time you know and i think you 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 were lucky that 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 you you were probably in your 20s to the right time at at the right place Thir in my 30s like what you hear so far make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. Well, I mean, before that, as, as you oh, made your right. first yeah, film. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, So that, I mean, that's, that's helped probably already a lot, you know. So yeah, it's, uh, yeah. So, so, and then, okay, then there you were in your 30s. I mean, which, 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 which is good. So you still, you could continue with your, with, with your filmmaking. That's great. That's yeah, well, I did. Well, then, no, what happened? So then I then formed a band in in Dublin called Hyperborea. What happened? I'd always had this interest in in kind of I, well, the Irish language. I love hearing the Irish language sung. Can you speak? Can you speak it? No. No? No. It's more Lanfege uh, Goira. <laughs> I, I don't know what that is. I mean, Tormi I, I, tor I, I, tormizel That means the cat uh, has measles. Ah, it's not too bad, man. No, I can't speak it. But I picked up a few <laughs> words, obviously, through through mixing it. Yeah. So I was always interested in the Irish language. And I was always, always, you see, I I remember going to a trad session when I first came to Ireland. And it was in this hotel in Dingle. 
and it said, there was a notice on the wall, said, trad session tonight, everybody welcome. So I went downstairs with my little hand drum, you know, <laughs> and this is like in the early night. It wasn't even the night. I think this is this is before I actually yeah. moved to Ireland. So it was like in, yeah. when I came over in like the late 80s or something. Yeah. And I, I joined him with my little hand drum and everyone went, shh. You know, and even the Baron player, they were going, I know, I know. And I was going, hello, this is not, this is not trad music. To me, you see, I could hear this tribal thump in trad music. So I thought, right, just because I was so annoyed, I'm going to put it back in. So I formed a band called Hyperborea with the (laughs) idea of putting the thump back into trad music. And I was just happened to be at a gig of a friend of mine in Dublin. The same same happened to me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was on, on a trad session. As I came 2008 to Bali Dorp and uh, okay, trad sessions. So I was alone, you know. So I was playing with with with, with spoons, but yeah. in every hand two spoons. And I, I was I was playing like the drummer from Led Zeppelin to the trad sessions, you know, yeah. singing yeah, yeah, as well. Yeah. I mean, with well, yeah. hey, yeah, we'll go to work, more like the like the popes as anything. Else, you know, and I was already uh, I created so much enemies in the first month when I was there on the strat sessions. Yeah, <laughs> they were looking, and they were. You know, I I know exactly. I can exactly imagine how 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 it was for them as you came on with your, with your little drum over there. You know, so same exactly the same. So anyway, yeah. I was at this I was at this gig, and and the, the support band had this singer, and she just had a great voice, and she looked amazing. It was a great presence. I went out to yeah. and I said. You don't sing Irish by you guys sing in Irish by yeah. any chance. She said, "I'm actually a Gaelgore," and that yeah, she she was like brought up I, I'm speaking a, I'm, Irish. I'm a what? Gaelgore, a... which means she was brought up speaking Irish. So I was went okay, fantastic. So then I I'd, I'd uh, been shooting all these videos, as I said, in 32 counties, and one of the studios we'd been to. The man was the, who owned this studio to shoot this band in. He was their manager who owned this nice little studio in Carlo called Nine Stone Studios. And I said, to, he said, would you make a, would you make us another video, you know, get another cut of or something for that we can use? I said, all right, I'll tell you what, if we do that for you, will you let me have this studio for a weekend? And he said, yeah, okay. So I had yeah. a free studio and in Bagnallstown it was, and we uh, got, I got all these people together. So there was actually Ian yeah. Mayock, who's a whistle player, quite, quite well known. And What's Cormac, his name? Ema Mayock. And there was John Mayock. No, and there was Cormac Brennock, who's a uh, whistle player. And yeah. but his, no, his, I think it was his brother actually who played bazooki. Came down, and all these different people I got together. I'd met you know, through making the videos, and we we took. Um, I got my friend Tom Green. So Tom Green, uh, kind of associated with the Orb, you know, the band the Orb. And was a producer in London and still is an amazing musician. We'd worked together on some of the film stuff in London and been doing bits and pieces. So I sent him over some a clan ad track, Doolaman, and said, will you sample this up and get some backing drums for me? So we did. Yeah. And he produced all these, these little loops and stuff, hundreds of loops. And we brought them down and we recorded this track called Doolaman. And just that was it, one track. And we did a kind of remix of it and three three remixes of it yeah. and we put it out on cassettes right and um and i that was it really obviously died like everything else and i i sent it to a record company at the time and apparently this is the story that he he got it and he just put it in his car he hadn't even listened to it and he gave yeah. a lift to this guy who was a publisher and um 
this record label was like a kind of trad label, but doing interesting trad. And your man got yeah. in the car and he was looking through your man's cassette and said, what's this? Because it had an interesting cover. And he said, I don't know, stick it on. He stuck it on. He said, you should sign them. And uh-huh, he said, all right, uh-huh. I will. And so he did. He signed us. And <laughs> yeah. we did um, we had a little record deal for, uh, we did basically three records with him, or two records, I think. And um, yeah, so it was Hyperborea was, um, and we did a load of, we, then we wrote, we, we, we took, in the, I think the first time we took all traditional tunes and just basically rearranged them, you know, and, and did them in completely different ways. But <clears throat> we got this kind of like Indian kind of thing going. So, All right. You know, because at it the sounds, same time... I have to listen to it. I mean, uh, uh, it sounds... Yeah, sounds you'll find loads of it online. Um, yeah. But, um, but yeah, no, it was it was a great, great band. And and it did... It won a Hot Press Award in 1998, the band, as for Best Dance Act. So uh, that was it then. We kind of stopped after that. I think we did one more album. And just recently... So you, t- I, so you toured as well? Well... You know, it was never really successful in the sense I never made any money. I lost money. It cost me a fortune, that band. But, um, yeah. but we, I mean, critically, it was critically acclaimed. And we did do, we did kind of tour a bit. We played, we played some quite prestigious gigs. We played, we played the South That's, Bank BBC Live, one of the first BBC Lives. And we yeah. were supported by Jar Wobble, which I thought was rather cool. Ah. <laughs> and uh, we were headline, headlining act, but it was a terrible gig. And then um, was it? We also we also did another gig in Rath Khan, which is a Gwaeltacht up above Dublin, and we got uh, we were supported by Clanad. Well, most of Clanad <laughs> at the time, you know. So that was great too. I mean, just working with all these people and yeah, great fun. Yeah, but, but, um, uh, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, people think always okay. So if if they're critically acclaimed, so they they must make money. But it's often most yeah. of the case. It is just, it's just just for the for the for the for the uh, for the sake of um, getting a good critic. But making really money with music is so difficult. I mean, getting yeah. thousand listeners or uh, uh, paying. I mean, nowadays as well for, for paying, getting buying your CD. So. Like I say, I mean, I met I met Damo Suzuki two years in 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 Cork, and he was standing uh, behind the counter, was selling his own CDs, you know. So <laughs> I know. It's, well, there's Rodelius. So so Rodelius, who I work with, who was a member of Cluster, was a mem- was a member of Cluster because the other Mob- Mobius is dead now. But uh, they were uh, really really well known bands, you know, and he is so well connected. I mean, he and one of their albums, Eno, did Eno and Cluster, you know, so like really well yeah. connected. But he still had to have a a kind of a grant or a, not even a grant, but a kind of a, a helping hand from his local town just to stay alive. You know what I mean? So yeah, people, yeah, just because people are well known and they're really famous uh, or they're doing seem to be doing well, doesn't mean they're actually making any money. Uh, and especially in this day and age, you know, it's really difficult, you know. Uh, I mean, the only way to, with the, the whole digital realm in music, the only way to make money was effectively uh, doing live gigs. And now that's stopped. It's really bad for musicians. I know, I mean, uh, I'm still in contact with friends of mine from Cologne. Uh, a friend of mine, she's a singer in a, in, a, in a Queen cover band. And they normally they have their... 100 gigs every year still or maybe maybe more uh 
and nothing happens now you know and and they really i mean apart from 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 the fact that they don't earn money it's, it's as well a, a couple of the musicians already committed suicide you know i mean not of this band but friends of her you know I see see no future yeah well it's kind of yeah. it kind of get got that way really i mean and it's always been going that way but this it's because it's, it's a corporate industry you know what i mean i mean really i mean doing on a on a low key when when you could do gigs and you could sell your own cds you were making more money than you were out of your record deals yeah if you were a small band yeah but unfortunately yeah that's all gone by the wayside now yeah 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 i don't know i mean we, we still live in interesting times somehow so it's a well you've got to keep making music i mean but in many ways maybe that's what happens because because there is no future there's no hope and there's you know what i mean there's no chance of any record there's no chance of making any money because everybody's just robbing your music offline that's when you get more creative you think well there's nothing left apart from to be true to myself you know and i mean the, the this actual lockdown has been I've noticed a lot of people have changed direction yeah. and uh, I remember writing yeah. something down or maybe I read it years ago that before you change direction you have to stop yeah. which is very true because if you you know every it was it was Barbara Hepworth the uh, the sculptor the, from yeah. who lived in Cornwall yeah who wrote that if every artist could pull the thread and it's not quite accurate this but there's something like this if every artist could pull the thread they're born with to its very end they would create a new style and yeah. effectively you know that is true that if every artist just does what they're meant to do what they were born to do then yeah. would the world would be full of incredible art and music you know but we don't we try and do things which we think the arts council will like so we can get a grant you know which is yeah, it's not it's not the right way to approach it you know so yeah, uh, I mean, the lockdown, people have stopped. Yeah, but, uh, but this path, you know, we veer off. So we veer off the path. It's not like we take a, a quick turn. We just, we're we're led off the path by you know the yearnings for making a few quid, and we're way off the path. But in order to get back on our path, you know, it's either a very long journey back or you stop, and then yeah. make that journey back. So the, I think the the the, the lockdown has allowed artists to stop. You know, suddenly in panic initially, but then in kind True. of in kind of reverie to their own talent, and then and then they do something different. So I I basically uh, sold yeah. all of my equipment and and bought other equipment to change okay. physically change my direction in in all music. Right. You know, all right. I mean, it is actually the same in my case. You know, I mean, so I was working on my opera and I couldn't couldn't work further on that. So I had to, th to rethink my situation as well. What what can you do? That's the reason why I started with my podcast. There just getting in, just getting in again. A new technology that's already a jump to the third part. Just getting in into into new technology. As I will speak in the third part about that as well. Um, and uh, I would say this is a good chance to stop it here now in the second part because we're already 25 minutes are over more I mean time flies it no, is it weird when you're having fun it is, isn't it all right well, so it's, uh, I'll it's, see you, see it you is, on the flip, flip side it is it is great David really it's so interesting and, and I really 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 I'm really happy to have you here you know so I'm delighted to chat th thank you very much yeah yeah all yeah. right Did, Dear listeners, tune in if you if you want to 
to hear more about our chat uh, about Davis' experience and as well uh, about how what can we artists do in, in, in the 21st century? So how can we use uh, our digital revolution in order to keep ourselves uh, still happy? You know. All right, uh, David, thank you. See you soon. Right. Take care. Bye. 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 This is a listener-supported show. I feel honored if you subscribe to the show. You can follow me non-financial with the following click on one of my Instagram accounts or subscribe the visual version of this podcast on YouTube via the link below. If you like what you hear, be sure to tune in this Sunday for the third part of this Attitude Audio Triptych. If you want to leave a donation for a coffee or a bus ticket, just follow the donation link via the Attitude Podcast account. Eventually, I would like to thank, through this medium, all my members and listeners of the I Love West Cork Artists Network from all over the world. Just to remember myself that without you, this year couldn't and wouldn't happen. You have listened to Artitude, West Cork's first art, fashion and design podcast. Artitude, never so close again. Ah. That was too close.